the ball came back down and I took a I took a very good mark on his head and I thought, well, that's got to get close. So I turned around to Mickey. I said, Mickey, I'll buy you a beer after the game. He goes, yeah, why is that? And I said, because I think I just want a car on your head. So <laughs> that was good. Sports fans and welcome to Quinny's Cult Heroes. We recently ventured to South Australia and spoke to some legends of the game, including our guest, Tony Modra. Tony, thanks for having a chat. No worries, mate. We're going to talk about your career. Tell us about the early days growing up around Loxton with the siblings, kicking a footy, kicking a soccer ball. Were you yeah. a sports-loving <laughs> kid from day dot? Well, actually, when, take a step back from that. I was actually born at McLaren Vale and I played a bit of soccer and footy for Christie's Beach with Nigel Smart. And then it wasn't until um, mum and dad decided to pull up stumps and they wanted to travel around Australia in the caravan. So we got in the caravan and three hours out of Adelaide, that was it. We ended up at Loxton. <laughs> so we ended up, uh, yeah, mum and dad got the job. We managed the caravan park up there and it went from there. I basically was still playing soccer at the time then, but all my mates I made friends with at the school were playing football, so I changed codes. And did you just love sport from day dot? Were you one of those kids that they had to scream at you to come inside and have your dinner? Yeah, exactly, No, If there was something out there to do, I'd be on my push bike, I'd be kicking the soccer ball, even high jump, throwing the javelin, do whatever. And at what age did you think, not only do I love sport, I'm pretty good at it? At what age did that sort of come into your head? <laughs> not at all. No? No, I just enjoyed what I did, so yeah. And then funnily enough, I got picked up. I think when I was playing under-17s for Loxton Tigers at West Adelaide, because that was a zone at the time, the SNFL were keen on me coming down and having a run, so I thought, why not? So you're playing your footy for Loxton, and at the age of 17, 18, 19, that's when a lot of these top footballers go into the AFL. Yeah. Not you, though. You sort of played at a different level at that age. You mm -hmm. kicked 76 goals as a 20-year-old in 89. Do you think there was a lot of upside looking back in going down that different route and were you just having a lot of fun at the time? Was the AFL on your radar? No, it really wasn't, but I mean, there was a couple of years that I trolled back in Adelaide and when I was playing for West Adelaide, you know, a few under-19s reserves games and they actually, back then, similar to Nord, they had a house which they put these kids from the bush in. So there was four or five blokes down in a house. We'd have a maid that would come in, do your cooking and washing and all that and I've you know, you look at it back now, I don't think football was first priority back then. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a bit of fun in the house as well? Yeah, yeah, a bit of fun. No, it was all good. But then I decided, no, I really want to just go back and play casually at Loxton at my own club. I did that in 89. We just missed out on a premiership there. And then um, I wanted to play with my brothers. They were still playing at the time. So I went to Renmark the year after and we won a premiership, which was good. That, was, that wasn't that was overly convincing because we drew the first one. We weren't quite sure what to do after the after the siren blew, whether we play on five minutes a quarter, but we had to come back the next week. Oh, really? A full-on replay. Yeah. But you got the job done and you banked that. So you've got some wonderful memories of that period. That was yeah, probably no. when footy was just all about having fun. Yeah, that's right. And just playing with the brothers, that was special. And when did the Crows then come on the radar? Um... I think it was when I went back down to West Adelaide just thought I'd give it another go with Doug Thomas persuaded me to come back and so I was playing there at West Adelaide and we ended up making the finals there too, the grand final, the famous bloodbath they called it back in the day and that's when I got picked up by Adelaide. They had a look at me and put me on the list. And so you go to Adelaide, 1992, you play eight games. Yep. Some really good games, two bags of five and a bag of seven. So you dipped your toe in the water that year, but it must have been really confidence building to have those three games where you kicked the bags. It, it was, yeah, but I mean, still back then it took me a while. Training wasn't exactly my first priority, but then, yeah, um, when I got my opportunity in 93 in the first game, I thought it just went on from there, so. 
Yes, absolutely exploded in 93. We'll get to that in just a sec. When you say it wasn't your priority, did it take a while for you to adapt to the professionalism? It did, yeah. I wasn't a keen trainer, but every time the Bulls came out, I was 100%. But, yeah, just the whole pre-season running side of things, I wasn't a fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, and you mentioned 93. I mean, that was just an extraordinary year. You come on and you kick 10 goals against Richmond round one. You kick 129 goals for the season, 119 in the home and away. And in the blink of an eye, and I don't want to embarrass you, you became, in my opinion, the most famous sportsman in the country. Everyone oh, yeah. was modra obsessed. Well, it was a blink of an eye because really I just went out there and played and <laughs> ten, you know, 10 goals in the first round was probably a confidence booster for me. And the only reason that came about was because Scotty Hodges got injured. So I guess you could say I made the most of my opportunities in that game and it just went on from there. And after you kicked 10 against Richmond in round one, mm -hmm. did you sense that the whole team looked at you differently? You were the focal point, you were the man? Because it all seemed to switch very, very quickly. Uh, they pushed me and I was pretty fit. I had a good pre-season. And I mean, having guys like Chris McDermott, Tony McGuinness, Andrew Jarman coming out of the centre, basically telling you, lead, because we'll give it to you. And that's what I did. And I guess as the year went on, it was funny because, like I said, two years before, I'm up in the Riverland. I'm playing football up there. All I wanted to do was go into the footy club after a game, put the winners on, which was Channel 2 at the time, and see how many Ablett, Lockett, all these guys kicked. Two years later, I'm at the opposite end of the ground. So I think it was a pretty special era to play in, considering these guys are up the other end. And I mean, it was hard to try and keep up with them. They set the bar so high, but that definitely helped my career, I think. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, all I wanted was to go up the end of the ground at the end of the game and shake their hand. Yeah, they were my idols. That's <laughs> amazing. And some of those shootouts, when you had those lockets, ablets, dunstals down one end kicking bags and yep. you down the other end, it was just such a great time to watch footy. And in all seriousness, the fame, how did you cope with it? Because you were the rock star. South Australia had been desperate for an AFL team. The Crows were in their third year. The team starts winning. You're kicking mm. all the goals. You looked like a movie star. <laughs> did it get too much? Did it get overwhelming? And at sometimes did you think, my goodness, what's happening here? Um, not really, because I just wanted to play football. I mean, it did become hard in your own private time, going down the local shop and, you know, buying, buying food and stuff like that. But I loved getting away. I went away with my girlfriend a fair bit, surfing and stuff like that, which was helping my fitness as well. So, I mean, it was just one of those things. And it did get out of control there at some stage because um, I didn't have a manager and then Bill thought he had to, you know, try and settle things down. So he became my manager, but he was also the manager of the footy club as well. So oh, wow. That's how hectic it sort of it, it got, so... What was the things that the manager had to do just to nullify how intense it was getting around your fame? Well, I think it was just the endorsement side of things. People ringing up, companies ringing up, and I, you know, because I didn't have a manager, they'd ring the footy club and then he'd handle that side of things. So we did that in the first year and then it wasn't until the second year that, you know, I thought, well, we had to try and find a manager and... Um, there was the famous man himself, the big, the big fisherman Rex Hunt. He, I spoke to him one day in Melbourne, and he was keen to help me out a bit, which was, which was great of him. And he got his manager involved with me in '94, and then I think um, after that, Ricky Nixon, through Club Ten, I was involved with him, and that was, that was pretty special. He flew me over to Melbourne. I go into the boardroom. There's a table there. I walk in, and there's Ablett, Lockett, Dunstall, Heard, all these guys. I'm thinking, oh my God, what are we doing in here? So <laughs> it was a bit embarrassing for me, but no, that's it, it was good, good times. Well, there's some simple things that they told you to do or told you not to do to try and deal with it and live your most normal life possible. Yeah, well, they just wanted me to play football, so I yeah. let everything else um, control that. And then, you know, if I had an endorsement or something, they said, you know, this is the day to do it, and I just went and did it, which was which was definitely helpful. 
Now, following a dream 1993 season where you kicked 129 goals and the Crows made a prelim final, unfortunately it didn't go to script in the second half against oh. the Bombers on that day. Yeah. What do you remember about that prelim? Well, I know that um, we were six goals up at half-time and I think I ended up with six for the game, but just after half-time it just went the other way because I thought, you know, people people would have been sitting there booking their flights for the next week, but it didn't happen that way. And I keep, you know, me and Cornsy have this argument every now and then because Scotty Hodges was with me in the forward line. They took him off and then I got double team after half-time and then, yeah, that, that could have been a reason why they came back as well. But who knows, in hindsight, 93, yeah, it was the one that could have been. Didn't quite get there, but we made up for a 97, 98. Certainly did. They were very wonderful years for the Crows, but unfortunately that 93 prelim, the Bombers, they were just too good and went on to win the Premiership. But on the back of that 93 season, going into 94, did you get away? Did you try and relax? Did you try and have some fun? Because it was a whirlwind experience. As we said, mm. at the start of the year, not many footy fans probably knew who you were. Yeah. By the end of the year, you were the biggest name in the game. Mm. Yeah, well... I didn't see it that way. I just, you know, wanted to continue on my form. So, 94, that was one that, yeah, I mean, we dropped off a bit. I think I ended up with 70 goals that year and we didn't make the, I don't know if we even made the finals that year. So, yeah, it was a bit disappointing and I thought it was more disappointing that um, the coach, Graham Corns, who gave me my first chance, he, you know, they, they went looking for someone else, so which I thought was a bit harsh on him. So, that was the end of that, that year. Um... And then 95, we ended up with another coach for a couple of years and then Malcolm came on. So. Tell us about Cornsey because you said he gave you a chance. It sounds like you've got a great Gave me a couple of chances, actually. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that because I did want to talk about going to round one, okay. 1994. I was waiting for it. You're yes, coming yes, off a magnificent yes, yes. season. You're coming up against <laughs> the fullback of the century in Stephen Silvani. And you think, gee, you're going to spend the week preparing, watching tape. But you went down a different path. Well, it wasn't that. I was just thinking, you know, we'd had a hard pre-season. The first minor round games, I'm standing Silvani. We're playing against Carlton. And my mates just wanted to go and have a bit of a lunch beforehand. because, And I thought, well, OK, we might be out of a couple of beers because we just got a meeting that night before then. So one thing led to another. <laughs> I thought, well, we probably had a couple too many here, but we've only got a meeting, so I go home, sleep it off, set the alarm, and unfortunately, slept through it. <laughs> got a phone call the next morning, because I didn't, didn't answer my phone a lot back then, because everyone was ringing up. Um, that Graham said, well, you're in a bit of trouble today, son. The boys know you slept through the alarm, you didn't come through the meeting. And I thought, yeah, I know about that. So, yeah, I think um, coming to the change rooms that morning before the game, the, re the reception wasn't very flash. From your teammates? Yeah, from the teammates. And I just walked in, I could see it straight away, their body language, there was, you know, there wasn't too many people. I remember seeing Chris McDermott. He didn't even look at me. Tony McGuinness just shook his head. Jars, well, I won't tell you what he said, but it wasn't <laughs> pleasant. And I thought, geez, I'm up for it today. So, yeah, anyway, we played that we, we played. And I think it wasn't until I kicked my 10th goal that Chris McDermott, the captain, finally came up and gave me a hug. And I'm thinking, thank God for that. So I kicked another three on top of that to make sure. So. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You came out and you kicked 13 goals. In... I did. And to be fair to Sauce, they weren't all on him. I think it was after my seventh or eighth that he got taken <laughs> off. So it is what it is. So. <laughs> but isn't that incredible? I mean, the fact that you've had a less than ideal preparation. Some would say you were lucky to not be dropped. Yeah. And then you've come out and played one of your best ever games. Yeah, yeah, I guess you can put it like that. So, I mean, you know, those sort of preparations aren't ideal. It worked that time. And there probably could have been a couple other times where they didn't work. So. Yeah, but that's the thing. Do you think, though, because 
that era of footy, what I love about it is the camaraderie between all the players that played against each other. Because a lot of times you'd play footy and then you might meet up and you might have a beer or in yeah. the off-season you'd have beers with them. Yeah. And it just feels like that's gone now. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's strange because that was obviously the years of state footy still too. So that was pretty big on the agenda. I mean, I love playing state footy too as a kid. That's what you wanted to do. So having that still involved was good. And that's why that camaraderie there, even when you were playing state footy against the Victorians and whoever, you actually get to play against all these guys that play for other clubs who all combine. And that's their special moments. Yeah, and there's nothing like going out and playing hard against someone and then shaking their hand and having a beer with them afterwards. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And we could do that back then. So now it's pretty much what do they do? Prepare for the next week and get straight back on a bus, have their meetings the next morning. Yeah. Not only were there so many players in the 90s, I felt there were so many great personalities. It doesn't yeah. feel like there's as many these days as well. Do you think that they're just not given the chance to show their character because yeah, they're too scared of... Well, yeah, and it's a bit more scripted now too. And, I mean, I, I find to see... I see these players that have got huge potential and they find it hard to, you know, get into their rhythm. And I just think sometimes you just have to get, let them go with their natural instinct. And I'll give you a prime example. We've got... Um, We've got Darcy Fogarty. I mean, he's had a couple of years where he's slowly got into it, but I remember watching him play and I'm thinking, he just needs to go for the ball. He's there just worrying about where he's standing, where he's meant to be. I said, mate, you just got to let this kid off the leash and he's doing that now. He's going great guns. Just see ball, get ball and yep. let the natural instincts kick yep. in, Sometimes which is Sometimes it's not hard. <laughs> <laughs> now, 1997, you had a great season. Mm -hmm. You won the Coleman medal. At the time, I'm sure it was nice to get the Coleman medal, but with... Hindsight, do you think that's something you appreciate more when you see your name on that honour board with some of the all-time legends? I, I guess so, because I didn't think of it in, like, in 93 I got done um, with Gary Ablett. Isn't there. that amazing? Who, who the 119 goals. It doesn't matter. In the around, he got me. <laughs> and, I, and I just think, oh, well, they didn't really bother me that much. And then um, it wasn't until 97 when I got it again. So, yeah, no, that's a special moment when you look back at it now. But... When you were actually playing, you know, you were just trying to go out there and win, so... And do your best. Where's the middle now? At home somewhere. Do you know where it is? <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. I think so. I think so. The kids play around with it every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> That's sensational. Now, when we think Tony Modra, we think kicking goals and we think marks. Okay. One of the greatest marks of all time. What <laughs> made you so good and how did you get that leap? I don't know, it was, it was funny because like I said before, just as a kid, you love playing soccer and footy and high, I was doing high jump as well, those sort of things. I don't know, I was just one of those kids that if there was something there to jump, I'd try and jump it, whether it was a fence or a table or something. I don't know, it was just one of those, you know, I always wanted to, always wanted to test myself out. So in hindsight, that's probably helped me achieve what I did. Now you've taken so many great hangers. Do you have a favourite? I do have a favourite and, um, well, I've got two favourites. I mean, the best... The favourite is the North Melbourne one because after that mark on Mickey Martin, the response from the crowd, that's something I remember forever. And that's probably what made me want to, you know, that's what they, that's what that's what it made me realise what the crowd wanted to see every week. And I know that I had a coach say to me, he goes, you don't always have to try and take speckies, you can punch from behind. But I just, yeah, I just said, mate, 40, 50,000 people don't want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that'd be, yeah, that'd be the one that's special to me. But the other, my best one's probably the Brisbane one in yep. 94. I was pretty happy with that one, but I got pipped at the post there when Gary Ablett took that mark in the golf square and I just thought, don't pay it, don't. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking... 
I don't mind getting beaten by a legend like that, that's for sure. So the fact that you've kicked 119 goals in a season and Ablett's done you for the Coleman yeah. and you've taken that spectacular mark against Good Brisbane enough. and he's pipped you for the mark oh, of the year. Well. Bloody Ablett. Three marks a year out of four ain't bad. I'm not complaining. <laughs> I'm not complaining. <laughs> no, it's a very good effort. I love the one against North Melbourne. That was my favourite. And yeah. how close did Glenn Archer come to decapitating you with that round arm of the year? Well, that's what I can't... You, you know, you don't really notice these things until you look at the replay and think, geez, he was on the hammer then, <laughs> wasn't he? Because I, I do remember... Because you do position yourself thinking the ball's going to land short. And it wasn't just him I was right. I was right about zigzag because everyone was, you know, they always, they're all trying to stop your run-up. So you got to you got to try and work that out too, and then work out with. So it worked that night. So I was happy. Absolutely spectacular. We'll put the footage of those marks up so people can relive them. And <laughs> I went to Victoria Park to watch Adelaide oh. versus Collingwood. Now, yeah. if you hadn't been to Victoria Park, I think yeah. the nicest way to describe it is totally feral. Yeah. The only... I, I did get warned about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I've ever seen Collingwood players clap an opposition was the mark you took there that day. Uh, well, the funny thing was, I love playing interstate because I never got the opportunity to fly, funnily enough, until I was 19 when I started playing football at a higher level. And um, just wanting to go to these grounds that I see on TV, wanted to go there, it didn't really bother me. I knew that, you know, I, I got the hint that the crowd wasn't going to be very pleasant, <laughs> but going out there and do what you do best, and, you know, and then um, obviously the response from the crowd, you know, it, it's good. And that's what they want. So, I mean, you get heckled and this and that and everything else, but I always found out if you're going to play interstate, Shut the crowd up early. Yep. Take a big mark, kick a goal. And <laughs> I think that was the biggest upside of your Crows teams in the 90s, playing your footy park home games and the crowd was that intense but for you guys. Mm, yeah, yeah, for sure. But, I mean, going to Victoria Park, Princess Park, even Waverley, places like that, it was good uh, good memories. What was your favourite ground? Oh, MCG. Yeah. Kicked in 10 there a couple of times, so I was happy with that. Unfortunately, it wasn't for on grand final day, but it is what it is, so... You always picked on poor old Richmond at the MCG. You just dined out on the Tigers. Well, we spoke about that before and even North Melbourne because, funnily enough, and I think there's something in it because when I played at Loxton all through my younger, they were Richmond colours. So I was out on the ground playing against them. I felt comfortable with it. So that might have been had something to do with it. Bought the best out of you. Now, 1997, you had a terrific season. You led the Crows to the prelim final. You yep. won the Coleman medal. But unfortunately, on what was an historic day for the club with that comeback victory over the Western Bulldogs... Yep ended in football tragedy for you. Yeah, it is. I mean, what do you do about it? I mean, I know back if we go back to 95 when I actually hurt my knee then and then um, getting an arthroscope and the club saying that I've tore three quarters of my ligament, there's a quarter left. And, they, you know, they wanted me to play on, so which is what I did. Unfortunately enough, <laughs> unfortunately it didn't last that one more game for the grand final. It, I did, it, um, it finally snapped in the prelim. So you can't do much about these things. So I did try and work hard the next year to make a comeback. And you were so stoic on the day, out there with the players post-victory, and then grand final day as well. You were there, you were in all the photos. Mm -hmm. I understand it's probably incredibly bittersweet, but it must be something you were proud of, that you did make the effort to be there, and you are in those photos looking back. Well, very emotional, and because I didn't, I, because I didn't achieve what I wanted by being part of the um, premiership team, but, you know, I was there all the way and I experienced that. I mean, you look at some players don't even get to play finals, so I was very lucky to be even part of that and then obviously you know it's not about one 
one player, it's not about one coach. It's about a whole state and a team and the supporters. And to achieve that, that was fantastic for, the, for South Australia. Now, recently there's been talk about all players should get a premiership medallion, irrespective mm-hmm. if you play on the day or not. Okay. Do you think they should? And if they gave you one, would you relish it and appreciate it? It wouldn't bother you or it's something you wouldn't want to take? It's a hard one. I'm old school. I don't like change. So yep. it is what it is. I mean, like I said, you get... It would, it would, I'd probably like it and I would appreciate it, but it's not, not to be. And, I mean, it's not just me. There's other players that play one or two games for the year or just did a pre-season. So it does take everyone in the club to, um, to achieve that milestone. So I don't, it's a hard one. I don't know. Fair enough. Twelve months later, you work so hard, you come back from injury and you get back to playing. Yep. Mentally and physically, how hard was it to come back? Um, it was hard just trying to get the confidence back in my knee. I did a little sort of surfing as well back in the day just to keep myself mobile. So, yeah, no, I was, um, when the time came, I was, I was ready. So, yeah, it was, it was good. So you got back in the team and you played that first final against Melbourne. Unfortunately, that was a forgettable day for the Crows, losing that game. For the club, we got smashed that day. The ball didn't come down very much. So I think that was the day that uh, Malcolm tried to slide me in a few more positions. Yeah. <laughs> and it didn't quite work out. So... Uh, so after that game, when we went back to Adelaide, yeah, there was a there was a few players there, you know, not wanting to know where they were going to be the week after. And unfortunately, me, I got the call in saying you're not required. So, so that was that. So Malcolm de- de- basically decided then and there, you weren't going to play. I can't imagine that was a very pleasant conversation to have. Well, it was a bit strange because I was looking for confidence at the time, went and saying, well, what do I need to do better? And I said, well, you know, I just want to get back to my '93 form, things like that, and. Yeah, I've got to admit, I haven't said this before, but when he when he actually, so I said, you know, I just want to get a bit of back, get back a bit of form like 93 with 129 goals, and he said to me, well, that was a bit of a fluke, wasn't it? And I thought, well, that's a bit hard to take from from a legend as himself. So anyway, it's the exact happen. opposite of what you wanted to hear, though, and and it's pretty disappointing. Yeah, well, I mean, I just I just I just took it, and then yeah, I just it just made me try harder to um, get in the team for the rest of the year. And in the blink of an eye. Crows fans were left heartbroken because you were traded to Fremantle. How did that come about and why Fremantle? Because there were lots of clubs interested in you. Well, they rearranged my contract and they basically said, you know, this is what it is now. And and I had the, definitely had the feeling, you know, they thought my time was up. They have two years in a row. They've done it without me. And so I thought, of, I didn't think my career was ended yet. So that's when Fremantle knocked on the door and wanted me to come over there. And so I went over there and I loved it over there. It was a great place to live. What was the main difference between the Adelaide Football Club and the Fremantle Football Club? Well, they were, they were just starting, so they were new to me. So I was sort of taking a step back and where Adelaide were and even Port Adelaide probably because we were just training at a local ground and it was just, yeah. Oh, yeah. The funny thing was, uh, one thing I didn't agree on was when I went over there, it was 11 zip. They called it the Derby. We called it the showdown locally and, and it was West Coast 11, Fremantle zip. And yeah. I was thinking, oh, if anything could come out of my career, and we need to beat these guys up the road. And that's what we achieved. And, Tell you what, the supporters loved it. I can imagine they did. You probably didn't have to put your hand in your pocket to buy a drink for maybe the rest of your time over there after yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. them. But you were terrific for the Dockers. That first season, the team won five games. You kicked 71 goals. You showed plenty of zip. You showed your footy smarts. And mm. I think a lot of those young Docker players learnt a lot and clearly loved playing with you. Yeah, no, I, um, I enjoy being over there and, you know, out of, out of all the teams in the field to go to free, oh, I thought it was a fantastic opportunity and I'll, I'll always thank them for giving me a, a second go. So That was great. Now, you mentioned the derby and you won that. You also played in three showdowns, including the first. Yep. 
Walk us through the week in Adelaide when it's oh, that big game and God. the whole state stops. The first one in 97, I mean, you got this new team called Port Adelaide coming in. I'm thinking, surely all week I'm leading up, because I live down Port Adelaide, way by Footy Park. But a lot of my mates were, um, were you know, they played for Port and... Um, and yeah, they were they were niggling me all week. I'm thinking, imagine if we beat you. And I'm thinking, oh no, this is. And I thought, you know, the funny thing is, living down at Port Adelaide is not where you want to be in the first showdown leading up because the hype and everything it was full on and trying to control it all. So going out there and losing, I sort of think in hindsight, if we won, my house would have got burnt down. Now I'm probably <laughs> grateful that we lost because it's still standing. So <laughs> no, very passionate. It's been great. You know those. Having a two-team town is fantastic with the state and the rivalry is bloody no different up to today. Is it a fiercer rivalry, Adelaide versus Port Adelaide or West Coast versus Fremantle? Exactly the same. I yeah. went over there, it's exactly the same. It's unbelievable. But I mean, when I, I've got to admit, when I went over there and it was 11 zip, I thought, nah. So as soon as we got a taste and we won that one, it's, 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 it's evened up a bit from now. Now, after playing three years with the Dockers, you're retired ending a career that spanned 118 games for the Crows with yep. 440 goals and then 47 games for the Dockers and 148 goals. An incredible career, especially considering at age 21, you weren't even <laughs> in the system. No, no, I wasn't. No, that wasn't the plan either. But, you know, it just goes to show when you get an opportunity, you make the most of it, and that's what I decided to do. Looking back on your career, what are some of your favourite moments that we haven't mentioned? Um, no, we've pretty much mentioned all of them, I think. So, yeah, no, um, I love, well, I'm a life member at the Adelaide Football Club now and loving every minute of it. I've been working there for seven or eight years in the corporate side, so it's just good to mingle back with the supporters and talk about the past and the future. And the fact that it ended abruptly at Adelaide, it's obviously wonderful that time heals all wounds. The club is delighted to have you back and you've been open to it and you've come back and the supporters get so much joy from seeing you. Well, like I said, the club's... The club's bigger than one person, and so no, to be back there with the family and friends, and just you know, saying go the crows down there, mingling, you know, it's just fantastic. I love the football club. Now you spoke glowingly about Cornsey. You still stay in touch with him? Yeah, yeah, still see him every now and then. So he texts me after the front bar. <laughs> <laughs> so we don't seem too shy anymore. So I don't know. It was just you know this gather round. Like I said, this is another fantastic thing for the state, and it's good to be part of it. Well, Tony, we've loved having a chat. I'm going to finish with two questions. Yep. Best sledge you ever heard on the footy field? Best sledge. Um, best sledge for someone giving me um, was probably Mickey Martin. <laughs> yes, 90, that was 97 when um, I've taken a half decent hanger over his head. I've turned around about a metre out and I've missed it. And he's saying, telling me I can't kick. I'll wait till you actually. There's some of the sledges I can't commentate on. <laughs> but I did say to him afterwards, the ball came back down and I took a... I took a very good mark on his head and I thought, well, that's got to get close. So I turned around to Mickey. I said, Mickey, I'll buy you a beer after the game. He goes, yeah, why is that? And I said, because I think I just want a car on your head. So that was good. Good days, good days. I'm sure I got a smile out of him too. I reckon he would have given a smile out of the side of his mouth hearing that one. And the best spray you ever heard a coach give? Uh, <laughs> well... I've heard a few of them, but um, you know, the one that came to mind is what I said before when I had a coach telling me, you know, you don't always have to go out there and take hangers. You can spoil from behind. I'm thinking I'm not having a bar of that and nor are 50,000 people. So <laughs> all good fun. Tony Modra, living legend. Thanks for having a chat today. Good anyway, thank you.
for 10 points. Jockey Luke Nolan drives what type of car? It's a 78 Leyland Mini. <laughs> what? Turn on the hub. Access videos, race day insights, and industry experts all in the new Ladbrokes hub. You win some, you lose more.